Blog Talk Radio. Okay with it. 
the fact that you don't need hard liquor to discard that information makes me, uh, you know, ma- makes me envious of you. Yeah. Do you uh, do it with blunt objects? Do you just smash no. yourself in the head and that and the memories go away? No, I just have a the way my mind works. I discard information that I find irrelevant. Oh, well, that hurts my feelings. Hey, how about we review the movie? Yeah, speaking of feelings being irrelevant. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, we're reviewing Zootopia tonight after that somewhat protracted inter- introduction here. Number t- number one movie, two weeks in a row. It's made gobs and gobs of cash. This thing is at 460-some-odd million dollars worldwide right now. It's what was the a- record that it broke? It, it broke uh, a record that Frozen held which I don't remember what it was. It would either um, be uh, biggest Disney animated opening, uh, biggest opening for the month, something along those lines. Um, I'm looking at a recent CG animated hit on Box Office Mojo and uh, for comparisons. And um, Frozen... Oh, what was it? Frozen... Domestic gross was four hundred million. Zootopia is currently sitting at one hundred and fifty-four. Uh, but what I don't have is world. Oh, here we go. Worldwide. Let's move down a page here. Worldwide gross. Um, Zootopia is currently at four sixty-five, and Frozen made over a billion dollars. But I feel like like opening weekend or something like that. Zootopia. They either beat it. They either beat its uh, opening weekend gross, or they got the biggest opening for a Disney CGI animated feature, something like that. I don't know. I, you get detailed enough, you can find a record for anything, and I just don't care that much. Well, the only reason why I mention it is I was afraid. You know, look, I think I don't think I'm saying anything completely untoward by saying that you know Disney tends to do Disney proper, not Pixar, tends to do better with their animated musicals with a princess in it uh, more often than they do with their non-musical, not aimed directly at girls uh, features. And, you know, Frozen was, Frozen was like the, the Titanic, you know, of Disney animated films. It was a phenomenon, uh, a modern phenomenon. And does um, not hold up well on repeat viewings. <laughs> well, you're also not a 10-year-old girl or younger. Um, oh. but my, how, how dare you? Tell me what I can and can't be, sir. How dare you? Well, if you want to be a 10-year-old girl, that's fine. I'm oh, you God, no. <laughs> Shut up! Um, what do you call it? Uh, so I was afraid that Zootopia was actually going to tank. You know, I looked at this thing and just thought, eh. You know, uh, Big Hero 6 did okay, but it it, it wasn't exactly, uh, it wasn't astounding in terms of records or anything like that. Like, it did well. It did okay. Um, I just didn't think Zootopia was going to find that big of an audience. And boy, howdy, was I wrong. Like I said, it beat one of the records held by Frozen. And I was like, all right, hands off. (laughs) We got a hit on our hands. Yeah, there's a few reasons for that that we can get into because one of the things that I find interesting about how this works 
is looking at you know why a movie is successful, not just as it pertains to the movie craft, which is a big part of it. But you know, you and I both know there are some spectacularly bad movies that are monstrously successful financially. Sure. And that not that this one falls into that, but that quality is not an indicator of commercial success. Okay. Found the record, by the way. Zootopia right. scores Disney Animation's largest opening ever. Audiences flocked to see Disney's Zootopia as it scored Walt Disney Animation Studios' largest three-day opening ever. I saw Frozen on the cruise, so you know I wasn't in I wasn't in a proper theater when Frozen came out. I got to see the midnight showing of Frozen while I was on a Disney cruise a couple of years ago. I'm sorry yeah. that you were stuck on a boat with all those people, none of whom would stop singing "Let It Go." I bet. <laughs> it, it was, you know what? When you're on the when you're on a magical Disney cruise, Robert Winfrey, uh, you don't. Everything is just magical and wonderful, and and, and a good time is had by all. This podcast um, is just going to have to take your. This, this this podcast is brought to you by Walt Disney Cruise Lines. Yeah, those checks ought to be coming in any day now. <laughs> Dude, if they would just send me a free cruise, that'd be that'd be good enough. You were saying. Well, I was just saying that I want to kind of, when we get to, you know, how we examine these, I want to look at why it was successful. Because despite it being, generally speaking, a picture of quality, and we'll get into that, you know, I like looking at, in the objective, why did this movie succeed? What about, you know, be it marketing, be it time of year, uh, you know, competition for the same audience, all that kind of stuff. That that interests me. I mean, as much, you know, you you and I both share an interest in that. So I, there's a few aspects of that I do kind of want to get into. But uh, you know, this thing is, uh, again, it's a huge financial success. Uh, I suppose I can go through my quick plot synopsis here. Uh, incidentally, to your point about Disney kind of struggling with films that aren't aimed squarely at, you know, 8- to 10-year-old girls, I think one of the major successes of this movie is that it uh, it doesn't involve princesses in the, you know, in any kind of context, but it does the protagonist that we follow is, you know, is still a woman and there's still a very young girl friendly message that goes into this film and I think that helps kind of compensate for the fact that they don't do the traditional kind of princess motifs. I want to add to that by saying it also doesn't completely disregard boys. Yeah. We have a strong female character and a strong male character both have arcs both have a a a character journey and both are fun and likable and rich characters for both genders to buy into so what you have is a very inclusive movie whereas frozen one could make the argument was a tad exclusive you know all i think somebody pointed out in a review of frozen that all men are bad that's a, that's a substantial message that comes through in Frozen. That's very true. Yeah. Whereas, Whereas you know, it does with, you know, Maleficent or any number of other Disney movies that I can right. name. So, so if you're a boy and you're watching this, you know, you have Nick Wilde, who's a fun character, who doesn't want to, you know, who doesn't want to be the hustler with a heart of gold? Um you know, and then if you're a girl, you have I, just let me who, who, I would very much character. like to never be Jason Bateman. That's all I have to say about that. I don't know who Jason Bateman is. I'm talking the about the guy Nick who voices Wilde. the fox. I have no Jason idea. Bateman? I, I don't know who you're talking about. I'm talking about Nick Wilde, the sly fox. Yeah. 
Yes, he was voiced by Jason Bateman. He's uh, the I lead in Arrested Development. How do you I not know who Jason Bateman is? I know who Jason Bateman is, but I'm referring to the character. Jesus Christ, are you <laughs> with me tonight? Captain uh, Noso? <laughs> one of those days, I don't think I ever fully woke up. So I apologize if I might be a tad slow on the uptick. I feel like right now, like, you know, you're up there going to be and then struggling to come up with or not to be. And I'm yelling at you. You just step on my hand. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, no, my Jason Bateman, just uh, that's a whole other thing. But no, you, to your point, you're exactly right. This is one of Disney's first movies that is, you know, accessible to kind of everybody. Uh, I mean, previous attempts at this had struggled. I think kind of the high watermark would be Aladdin in that you have, you know, both strong male and female characters for everyone kind of to buy into. Though I might be overlooking some film that I either haven't seen or discarded, but. Just looking at the modern, just looking at the modern Walt Disney ones, um, going back, you have. Big Hero 6 was their last one, and that was really aimed at boys. Yeah. I, I, would, tell you, I would tell you that, uh, you know, was there something in there for girls? Maybe, but, um, yeah, that, that felt to me like two things were happening with Big Hero 6. One, they were trying to get the most they could out of the deal with Marvel, uh, but, you know, by picking out an obscure uh, comic to make a movie out of, and two... That, I felt, was, was very much aimed at boys, like Tangled was aimed at girls. Uh, prior to that, from from uh, what they call the Disney Toon Studios, was Planes, Fire, and Rescue. That's pretty much a boy movie. Um, pretty crappy, too. And not not counting the ones that went straight to video, like The Pirate Fairy, which was a Disney movie. No, straight to video stuff doesn't exist for the purposes of this discussion. Um, then you so yeah, Frozen which was, if that wasn't directed at girls, I don't know what is. Um, Planes, which again, now we're back to boys again, non-musical boys. Um, Wreck-It Ralph. You know, I, I, um, I guess that, that, that didn't seem to be particularly exclusive of one gender or the other. It was also, I think, a phenomenon. I think it did really well. Wreck-It Ralph succeeded not by appealing to kids, but by appealing to quasi-disenfranchised teenage hipsters who think that who have no actual memory of playing in an, in a physical arcade, but like to pretend that they do because they downloaded emulators. Okay. Um, and then I think that's it. Uh, and then, you know, I think before that you have, I think the last thing we'll up to that point uh, before we start getting, you know, too far away uh, is Winnie the Pooh. When that came out in 2011 uh, from Walt Disney, there was stuff in between. Uh, stuff and um, You had a Tim Burton movie, but I mean, you know, prior to that, you know, between 2011 and now that's all there was previous to that. I mean, if you really want to go a little bit deeper, you've got uh, Tangled. Tangled really does start the, the, the new, you know, maybe Princess and the Frog, uh, which is 2009. But again, and to, to make my point, so you have the Princess and the Frog, and then you have Tangled, both from Walt Disney Studios, both aimed directly at girls, both huge hits. While Pixar tended to be more in, 
more inclusive or, or directed at boys. I think their one shot at trying to make a princess movie brave, <laughs> there's a bit of a struggle there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty easily. That was a struggle from them. Of course, you know, when Pixar movies have issues in production and development and whatnot, it's not that difficult to tell which entries into that studio's canon have to deal with those issues. Uh, it's pretty obvious which ones struggle and which ones are very clear, very concise, you know, solid vision from start to finish. By the way, if you look at the Walt Disney movies between sort of the end of the second renaissance, you know, the, the Beauty and the Beast era, uh, to where they picked up again with the Princess and the Frog, what a bunch of dogs. Yeah. Okay, so we start going, so we hit the high watermark with the Lion King, right? And then it starts going down Pocahontas and the Hunchback and Notre Dame, which we talked about. And it's an amazing movie. It's just not for kids. Not um, at, at all. I mean, glorious movie, but you, you don't show that to your eight-year-old. Hercules, not so good. Mulan, good try, not so good. Tarzan, and then we're kind of done after that. Then you have Fantasia 2000, The Emperor's New Group. Now, here comes, now, other than Lilo and Stitch, here comes a long line of crap. Okay, Atlantis, The Lost Empire, Treasure Planet. I'm specifically skipping Lilo and Stitch because I think that actually was a hit. Brother now, Lilo Bear. Lilo and Stitch is pretty good. Home on the Range, Chicken Little, Meet the Robinsons, which is a great movie. It just didn't do well. Bolt. Okay. <laughs> so, what we're talking about here, folks, in case anyone sort of lost the point, is. Is, is you can see, when Disney had their second renaissance, they did it by uh, focusing on what they at that time did best, which is the princess movie. Um, even Aladdin, you know, which was pulled by the strength of Robin Williams' uh, sort of oddball comedy, still features a princess in it that girls, you know, I, I go to Disney all the time, and, you know, there's always a, you know, dozens of jasmines running around. Um, when they stopped focusing on that from about 2001 until 2009, and as you know, and again, Atlantis, Treasure Planet, Brother Bear, Home on the Range, Chicken Little, Meet the Robinsons, but you have stuffed conceivably that's inclusive, aimed at both genders or favoring the boys, and it's all and, it, and it's all garbage to decent that didn't do very well. And then you have the okay. Princess and the Frog, which become which is great. Tangled, which becomes a phenomenon, and we're off to the races. Tangled, I, I am still shocked that they spent the budget that they did on that movie. Just that part of it is kind of what boggles my mind. The rest of it, I understand why people love the movie. So to, to just end this discussion and go back to why we're here tonight, um, with that as a backdrop, I'm surprised Zootopia did well. I'm surprised we didn't fall into the bolt category you know, or Brother Bear or something. But this movie had two things going on, um, more than two things, but two big things going on. One, it's a phenomenally written movie. Yeah. And two, you have two main characters that are extremely inclusive to, uh, to both genders. Children of all ages can buy into these two main characters who are very strongly written and well-acted. Yeah, this is, and we're going to get into that in just a second after I kind of run through our uh, plot synopsis here. Uh, this is a very well-written film. Uh, one of the best written Disney movies in a long time. 
But uh, just for a quick plot synopsis, we primarily follow uh, Judy Hopps, who is a bunny from uh, what Bunnyboro, because you get it, it's full of bunnies. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, yeah, Bunnyboro. And she wants to become a police officer. She wants to be the first rabbit that becomes a police officer. Uh, she eventually succeeds at this. She works hard, overcomes the you know issues that she has being you know a bunny, trying to enforce the law and pass through the academy alongside you know rhinoceros or hippos or you know all other kinds of large mammals that tra- traditionally would you know enforce the law. She succeeds. She moves to the big city uh, where nobody believes in her. And stop me if you've heard this before. The plot, the basic plot of this is not new ground under by any stretch of the imagination, folks. Uh, she's stuck on meter duty because everybody, yeah, meter maids. Uh, she runs into this fox, Nick Wilde, who is a bit of a scam artist, but does as much, but you know, knows how to stay out of doing anything outright illegal for the most part. He's a hustler, uh, baby. Ugh. Please don't. <laughs> just, just don't. <laughs> anyway, it turns out there's a it, there's a bunch of missing mammal cases that they're trying to investigate. One of them's an otter named Emmett, and I was severely disappointed that he at no point engaged in a hoedown with a jug band. And I thought, hey, come on, Mark, you have to get that joke. Are you kidding me? I overlooked it originally because I'm like, no, they're not trying to be that obvious. And then the next, like, I saw it twice. I saw it by myself, long story. Um, and then the whole family saw it at the drive-in on Monday night. And when they go Emmett Otterton, my wife, who's not, like, a strong laugh, you know, she doesn't have, like, a very strong comedic laugh, is a very dainty girl laugh, like, full-on guffawed. Like, that was the funniest thing she'd ever heard. And I was like, What? She's just like, and then she, and then she proceeds to do the like get it thing to me. She's like elbowing me and going, Emmett Otter, Subban, get it? And I'm like, I guess. <laughs> I didn't know they were going for the obvious route, but sure. And she's like, ha, ha, that's funny. And like she's legitimately serious. <laughs> like that's funny. Okay, sure. Emmett Otter, Emmett Otterton, I got it. it. Look, Disney humor is very rarely subtle. <laughs> that was about as subtle as a brick to the face. But she agrees to take on uh, this particular investigation because the chief of police is you know, uh, struggling with it and kind of trying to keep things quiet. She realizes that Nick Wilde was the, was, is a key witness. He was one of the last people that saw him. This, invol- this now means instead of a simple interview, she winds up dragging him around because it's a buddy film, you see. And we don't need logic for that. <laughs> My mild sarcasm aside, uh, they then try to find where this poor otter has gotten off to. Uh, they uncover a. They find out that various predatory mammals are going feral and reverting to non evolved. To a non evolved state, they're attacking, they're trying to kill and eat like you do when you're not sentient as these animals are. Once that comes out that it's, you know, they've all been predatory mammals because there's still a lot of friction between predator 
mammals and prey mammals. Uh, that starts fostering some more fear. Uh, when she announces that, it rubs the fox the wrong way because they've kind of bonded and now she's still prejudiced against predators. Uh, she realizes that, no, it wasn't actually... She leaves the force uh, because she feels she didn't make the world a better place, that she actually contributed to paranoia, fear, mistrust, so on and so forth. Again, there is nothing subtle here. Uh, while back home on her farm, she realizes that a clue that they had overlooked earlier or misinterpreted is actually a reference to a psychotropic plant. She realizes kind of like, snake. Uh, kind of like angel trumpets. Yeah, you don't know what angel trumpets are? I have not heard. I'm not familiar with that, no. It's a type of uh, psychedelic flower. Okay. To anyone who understands what Mark's talking about, yeah, I'm sure he made a very <laughs> elegant point. I just that's not something I've ever heard of. Okay, yeah, they're they're very popular here um, for people to get high in uh, Florida. It's probably a colloquialism, and there's some stupid nickname for them out here that's just different. But yeah, it, it, they are being there's a bunch of rams that are distilling this, uh, the essence of this flower down into something more potent and more permanent than temporary high and they are shoot any of there's a sharpshooter ram that is making predators go crazy all this is a plot by the uh assistant mayor who gets promoted to full-on mayor after the mayor is caught up in the scandal of keeping these savage predators in prison against their will to try and figure out what's going on because she wants to create a society where all the poor little put-upon uh, prey mammals can be in charge and feel safe, and she gets to remain in power because, hey, fear's a great motivator. And again, stop me if you've heard things like that before. She is thwarted at the last minute by, uh, again, Nick and Judy working together. Nick joins the police force. He becomes the first fox to ever to successfully become a cop because foxes are people are prejudiced against foxes more so than other predatory animals, apparently. And they become partners and are fully accepted members of the police force, and we all move on with a concert from Shakira. It's, again, no new ground here from a bare-bones plot standpoint, but what, what sets this movie apart in a lot of ways is just how well it's written. All the the two major characters have plenty of depth. The other characters, even though we don't get to know them, uh, we may not get to know them in depth, are solid enough. Uh, you know, they're memorable. They are well-drawn. That's not an animation thing. That's a writing thing. Though I, I want to get into the animation separately. And the other thing about this that uh, kind of got me going was Elements of the dialogue that are inclusive to parents who would be bringing their kids to this movie. Uh, I mean, there's quite a few jokes that, I mean, again, I'm 30. There's a few gags in there that, uh, you know, I laughed at that, you know, the other kids in the theater might not have gotten because it's, and doesn't matter that the, whether they get it or not. It's something to keep the adults who go see this movie engaged in what's going on. And it, that's a really difficult line to walk, but the guys they got to write this, to oversee it, they did just, a, again, a superb job with this, with the writing. The Again, the plot is not new, 
Uh, it's you know very well worn, in fact, but it's executed so well that it doesn't really matter that we're just treading familiar ground. All right, two things. One, we really have a stop. Not, and I'm not picking at you, but just as in general, um, but we really have a stop with the oh, you know, we've seen this plot before. There are only so many plots in this world. Like this, like, I think what Shakespeare said was like seven plots. So it's not a matter of the familiarity of the plot so much as the execution. I can give you seven movies all with the same plot, and the difference will be in how they were how they were executed, how they were uh, how the actors handled their parts, how, the pace of the movies. Do, is there a message embedded uh, along with the plot? That sort of thing. Um, the fact that this is your basic detective story is is fine, and it you know and it bears uh, reporting in talking about the movie. But the things that I think bear discussion are the uh, themes, the acting, and so on. So I'm not again I'm not picking at you, Winfrey, but just like yeah, okay, you know, <laughs> every movie that we review is going to have a plot similar to something else. Who gives a crap? Yeah, fair enough. Second thing, you were talking about jokes for jokes for adults. <laughs> I, uh, I had one of those moments where I can't believe, first of all, I can't believe I was the only one laughing. Second, yeah, I was the only one laughing at this, and I don't know why. Um, when, when Idris Elba, who plays the, uh, the, the captain of the police force, or the sergeant, rather. Um, he's, the, he's the captain. He's an African water buffalo. Okay. So he's dressing down uh, uh, Judy Hopps, and he finally just... At the end of it, he goes into this whole thing about how this isn't going to be. Um, you, you probably know the details of the speech better than I, I do. I remember the speech you're talking about. Yeah, the whole this is not going to end in some song and dance. And then at the end of it, he he punctuates this whole speech with "just let it go," and I let out this like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I I laughed at that too. You know, he, yeah, he felt no, this isn't. You know, this is you know this is real life. This isn't some insipid little song and dance musical number where you're gonna burst into song and then by the end of a montage all your dreams have come true. Right. Just let it go. And literally, and if I had been drinking, it would have came out of my nose. <laughs> and I swear to God, and it's funny because I'm in the theater packed with kids with their parents. They all saw Frozen, I'm sure, and no one got the joke apparently or thought it was funny. But I, <laughs> however. No, I laughed at that. My th- my theater got a good chuckle, got a good laugh out of that line. Mm-hmm. Oh my! I have three jokes that are in this that I really want to touch on briefly because I thought they were hilarious. Uh, one, the sheep at the end who is basically making a concentrated version of blue methamphetamine. That they're <laughs> that's the visual they're going for. He answers the phone at one point and then. Yeah, somebody knocks on the door of his you know, the underground location. It's a train car, actually, but where they're cooking this, and oh, Jesse and Walter back with my latte, and I, I, I laughed. I laughed pretty hard at that one. Yeah, I thought that was a good one too. Nice, nice little inside joke there for the adult crowd. Then, oh, there's one that I have to go into a little bit of a story on because it, it's only really funny if you understand a bit of the backstory. Uh, but. I got a big kick out of the constant jokes about that they made about rabbits and their, you know, procreate, procreative habits. Uh, when she leaves the town, for example, the counter for the population is just always going up. 
then there's a real there's a funny little line that she gives to uh Nick after she's kind of cornered him on his income tax evasion. Because she says, oh, now I'm just a dumb bunny, which he's accused her of being. But we are pretty good at multiplying, so I know how much you owe on this form. And I just, yeah, yeah, double entendres. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I think what got what got the hardest laugh from me was actually the wolves howling. Okay. <laughs> now, yeah. now almost, you have it's to, almost a sight gag. Well, it's a sight gag, but you have to understand that there's a, there are currently two dogs residing with me. One of which lives here permanently. She's uh, our beagle. And beagles have a tendency to have to tell you about everything. This is just part of their nature. And she's very happy with herself when she does this. And I'm not insulting my dog at all. But they inform you of these things by barking, baying, you know, whatever. Until they are satisfied that everyone within earshot of them is aware that there's a squirrel. Uh, We're also temporarily watching my dad's. Uh, Minpin, because my stepmom is still kind of recovering from some health issues, and it's just he's got to be here right now, and I'm fine with that. But Minpins are a tad skittish and very protective. When one of these dogs starts barking, the other dog starts barking because the first dog is barking. <laughs> At which point, and then I I know this is how this goes because I've watched it happen. The first dog, whichever one it is, will stop because whatever they felt compelled to bark about is done. But the other bo- the other dog is still barking, so now they must resume barking. And they just perpetuate each other. So the wolves, one of the wolves grabbing the other one and going, dude, you're going to start a howl off. I didn't start it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they all just, you know, because the bunny is inciting this, they all just, they can't help it. They just have to start howling. And I I just about fell out of my chair because I knew that, nope, that's welcome to my life. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I got, I mean, I don't have the, the, the uh, attachment to uh, the material behind the joke that you do, but I did think it was funny. I had a good laugh at that. Oh, yeah. It, I, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about the specific characters. But yeah, this is a again just a superbly written movie. Uh, the way that they gave depth to it—I mean, especially the first two characters, but even the rest of them—I uh, mean, for as much as you know, a few of them fall into cliches. I mean, again, you have the you know the braggadocious mayor. Uh, God bless J.K. Simmons, by the way, because another outstanding voice role. He he. I, I actually really enjoyed the the interplay between him and the sheep, um, and how spoilers and how the and how basically that informs her behavior later on in the movie. Like like everything just totally makes sense. Yeah, uh, Idris Elba does a great job as the Cape Buffalo who just I don't want a bunny on my police force. The mayor thought this was a good idea. I don't want you here because I think you're a liability. And, and that's the thing, you know, one of the things that I think we should talk about is that there's no wasted motion in this movie um, in terms of how fast the plot moves, but also every ca- well, this isn't Pirates of the Caribbean. Not every character has a plot line, quote unquote. Thanks. But, but they have, but they're not just walking, talking archetypes either. 
you know, you 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 understand in just a few lines why uh, the Idris Elba character doesn't want her there, and it's not because he's a bad person. It's he, you know, it's for her own safety. He feels she's going to get hurt. You know, you you get a sense of why the mayor is act, you know, does what he does. You know, by kidnapping all these animals, and he's trying to keep the public safe, and he doesn't want to start a panic, which is exactly what happens when word gets out. You understand why uh, Bellwether is the villain in all of this, because and her whole explanation, you know, it, it's a bit mustache twirly in the sense that you know she goes through this whole sort of, you know, I am the author of all your pain, James, kind of explanation for why they're doing what they're doing. Um, but you know, well, as her, said, her her explanation and justification is so much better than just tossing poor Christoph Waltz into that movie with that dialogue. Well, my my point is. It's a it's it's a smidgen forced, you know. It, it's it's definitely one of those moments where um, I, I can hear the character from the Great Muppet Caper uh, going this long explanation and Miss Piggy going, "Why are you telling me all of this? It's plot exposition. It has to go somewhere anyway." <laughs> yes, yes, that that's fair. <laughs> so it's like you know they needed to explain why she was doing what she was doing and really put it out there. And, that, and now you're at the end of the movie. There's no choice but to do it in, you know, when uh, Hops is cornered by, by what they think is a drug, uh, a drug addict, Nick Wilde. I'll explain that in a moment. Um, and it's fine. You know, her explanation makes total sense. You know, uh, prey outnumber ma- um, predators, you know, like a, a hundred to one. So why are we, you know, wh- why do we have to live with these people? You know, why not get out of here? That sort of thing. Um, you know, why not give, give Prey more power in the society? Uh, everybody has a point and makes sense. Um, and, you know, and then the minor characters that, that are just there for window dressing, like the fat cheetah, you know, he's, that's comical. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the sloth at the DMV, that was one long extended joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it paid off so well at the very end. It, it really did. Um, so yeah, there's the you know every every setup is paid off. Every character has depth to it. Um, the plot make the plot obviously makes sense. Um, and the, you know, and then the themes of the movie about you know inclusion in society, uh, racism, and all of that were interesting and were and were were made at a were were uh, produced at a level that kids could get it. But the but it also I think it's it's one of those movies where like you take your kid to go see Alvin and the Chipmunks, you're not going to be talking much afterwards about did the movie make you think at all. You're there to watch CG animated Chipmunks sing pop tunes. That's it. That is that's why the movies do as well as they and, do. And that's shame on you for supporting it, all of you out there. Just shame on you. Uh huh. Get kids, then we'll talk. Um, <laughs> why? <laughs> My daughter loves the Chipmunk movies. Because she wants to see CG animated uh, characters singing pop tunes. I, I don't need to explain this any further. Um, but there's of a, course there's no not. Reason. She's a child. You're the one who's supposed to make better decisions regarding what you expose her to. Okay. Um, but the point is, there's no room for discussion at the end of that movie. It is what it is. It's candy. Whereas this one is 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 really great for being one of those movies where afterwards, if you care to talk with your child, you can. There's a lot of grist for the mill 
in terms of generating a discussion uh, among the family, like what you know, what was the meaning behind this movie, and how does it relate to today's society? And it, it's de- it definitely elevates the movie beyond, you know, uh, typical kid crap. Yeah, uh, I got, if you guys haven't seen this movie yet, I will warn you, it's not subtle, uh, but you can only be so subtle when trying to get through to you know eight to ten year olds. By the same token, it manages not to be quite as ham-handed and just saccharine and stupid as something like Happy Feet. Yeah, it's not patronizing. Uh, made me bang my head against a wall. Yeah, it, it's not patronizing. Um, it also, despite being um, by being current, it's not like it's not a DreamWorks movie. Where after having sat through all three Madagascar movies now, all three come through Pandas, all the Shreks. And uh, and some other uh, DreamWorks ones. I'm coming to realize that DreamWorks, Dream, DreamWorks' whole gag is, hey, stuff happens in 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 our culture. Let's make fun of it. But you know, we, <laughs> let's make fun of it with talking animals. Yeah. Whereas Disney does a really really good job of interweaving the culture in its movies without you know, and there might be a reference to it, but it. It, it still moves the the action forward. It isn't just you know, or it's it's there for a bit of a laugh, but it's still cleverly done, as opposed to hitting you in the face with a raw fish method of comedy. You know, I, I would say you know, DreamWorks is very heavy on pie in the face. <laughs> Disney humor tends to be a bit more subtle than that. Not subtle as such, but more subtle than DreamWorks by and large. Now, DreamWorks is kind of the epitome of how do I phrase this? Typical kid crap? No. I mean somewhat yes, but also I imagine like ten years from now, someone who was not alive when the first Shrek movie came out, going back and watching it, is the rough equivalent of someone who is you know 18 or so now trying to watch like murphy brown it's just nothing but in immediate references to things that happen that no one will care about in three to six years it makes for extraordinarily shallow filmmaking i was gonna go with dated um i love the bloom county comic strips but if you go back and read you know the the heyday of the, of the Berkeley Breast uh, um, Bloom County comic strips. I mean, they're, they're talking about uh, Ronald Reagan and Lee Iacocca, and like you know, now if you start start batting those names around, someone's going to think Lee Iacocca, you know, makes pudding or some shit like that. You know, no one's going to know what the hell you're talking about. Um, barely know who remember who Ronald Reagan is, unless you're like a you know crazy you know conservative type. Um, huh, but, I'm not sure if I should be offended by that or not. <laughs> oh, why? Well, that's not, not nothing offensive about that statement at all. Conservatives value Ronald Reagan and and banter his name around even now. Most people have forgotten who he was. That's just our society. Uh, a, a large regret of, in my life was that I was not old enough to vote for Ronald Reagan. You yeah, well, you know, you might get your chance with Donald Trump. He is the new Reagan. That is fundamentally untrue on so many levels <laughs> we'll do a different podcast i'll explain my theory um 
to, to work in theory, it's a theory in, it's a theory in, in, in uh, you know, progress, but uh, process. Um, anywho, the, um, anyway, it, it, it's a lot of dated, you know, contemporary in 1985 is dated by the time you get to 2016. Sometimes it's dated by the time yeah. you get to 1980. And I think that's the, that's the problem with a lot of DreamWorks stuff. Whereas Disney tends to make timeless movies. I think in 10 years, you can go back to Zootopia and maybe some of the technology has changed to where it looks a little dated. But I think the, the humor and the heart uh, stay the same. Whereas the humor in a DreamWorks movie tends to be dated by the time the next movie comes out. Oh, yeah, extremely. And yeah, everything that, uh, and there is no better example of that than the Madagascar franchise. Which which we'll be talking I, about tomorrow night on the long road to ruin, and Robert Winfrey will be stepping in for Sean Comer, who has uh, some business to attend to on his own. So it'll just be me and Winfrey having the same conversation again tomorrow, only uh, I'll be probably drinking alcohol to get through it. Uh, and I will have a lot of very, very unpleasant things to say about those movies. But right now we're talking Zootopia. So you, yeah. you uh, guide me, sir. I'm all over the place tonight. What are you going to talk about first, second, third? Well, since we've talked about kind of the characters, and I love the fact that, again, the two main ones especially have such depth to them. You know, we understand kind of why Judy wants to do what she does, and – I think one of the things that kind of elevates this above the stereotypical, for want of a better example, Rudy story, or boy, that Sean Astin sure does want it a lot. Uh, I, I don't like Rudy as a movie. I just don't. But, and, but what, uh, what elevates this above that is there's a point, and uh, I think, she actually mentions it in uh, kind of her close the closing narration that you know she can't do everything she can't do she can't be whatever she wants to be that's a bit of a false narrative and the fact that it's acknowledged to a few degrees in this film sets it above the again the traditional well you can sure do whatever you want to do and anyone who tells you otherwise is just trying to kill your dreams and no there are limitations She's a bunny. So there are certain things she can't necessarily do. That doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't mean she can't be an effective police officer. It just means, hey, maybe she's not on the SWAT team type thing. And I like that that's acknowledged. Uh, but the other thing that really struck me about this movie is, man, the animation, the quality of the animation is uh, superb. I mean, they do such a good job of, you know, detailing the hair in all the hair of the fur and all of the animals. Uh, Judy is a wonderfully animated rabbit. They did, and you know, the animators do a great job of kind of transferring the energetic performance uh, by the voice actress into a very animated character. Uh, the same is true of the fox. Uh, because he's got that same, generally speaking, kind of dry humor that Jason Bateman imparts to the role. And it, it looks very, very... I mean, it's obviously animated. It's brightly colored. This isn't the type of thing you're going to mistake for real life. 
but there's a great level of detail that goes into the animation for this that I think really needs to be addressed because it looks beautiful. It's a very brightly colored movie. Uh, totally agree on the animation. I mean, um, you really do get lost in the characters' faces. You know, the anime, just taking Judy Hopps as an example, uh, Jennifer Ginny, uh, Ginny Goodwin, rather. Jennifer Goodwin. <laughs> Jennifer Goodwin, who plays Judy Hopps. Um, you can, you can, you can see the emotion on the animated character's face that the voice actress is putting out there. Um, the voice actress is emoting well. It is captured on the animated character's face. It looks great. Even a less animated character in the, in the terms of, you know, the character doesn't do a whole lot of crazy movements, uh, Bellwether, you still, there's a subtlety in what's going on in her animation that I thought was interesting. Um, you know, she her hands are always together. She, you know, she projects meekness, and it goes along with Jenny Slate's uh, voice acting, which is really great. And uh, the they, there's a great little gag uh, when they when they need her help getting access to traffic cameras, where the fox kind of like pets and poofs at her hair, right, <laughs> which is just wool. And he's oh, he's so fluffy. I don't ever, uh, no other sheep would let me this close. <laughs> right. Hey, what you think um, when she has to sleep, she counts herself. <laughs> One of the things that, there are two moments in the movie I want to talk about really quickly where uh, they are shocking to the audience. They are very quick, they're very violent, and they're both very shocking to the audience, but they're done in a way that it isn't over the top, it isn't crazy. In the moment, you know, and you have that moment of you know your heart kind of being wrenched, but it's just a moment, and then it's gone, and you're like, oh, okay, we're we're good here. Um, the first is right at the beginning of the movie, where the kid, with the southern kid fox, uh, takes the ticket and slashes at her face, and they, you know, look, this in a movie where you know where, where you have this canvas to paint on. You can go anywhere with it. He could have. They could have been blood there. Uh, it could have been a thing where they just go fade to black, uh, and then you're, you're later on in the movie. There's a there's a lot that could have happened in that one instance, but it you know or not even showing it at all. But they did. They showed you. They showed a fox, click its claws out and slash her face, and there were three scratch marks on her cheek. Um, pink scratch marks. And I remember thinking, I was like, what? I, like, I remember people had a visceral reaction to that. Like, eek, what the hell kind of movie am I watching here? Um, but then, you know, you quickly, the tenor comes back down again, and she's got the tickets, and it's kind of a small victory there, and then she's off to the police force. Um, later on in the movie, at the very end, uh, after they've darted uh, Nick, allegedly they've darted Nick, and he's seemingly savage, he goes to bite uh, Judy, and he gets her right there on the neck. You assumingly kills her. Now, if you're in that moment, and you're not you know, one of these people going, oh, you know that those are blueberries, fuck this movie, that kind of a thing. You just let the movie take you to where it needs to take you, and you're in the moment, and you give yourself over to it. That is almost horrifying. 
you know, especially for something that's supposed to be directed at kids. Um, you know, you just watched you just watched this fox on screen murder this this this. You know, you just saw this character murder another character right in front of you viciously, bite her in the neck. And it's so funny because the movie begins with them doing this play about, you know, about uh, animals living together, predator and prey and all of that. And they do this really funny thing where, you know, she's bleeding and she's just tossing red ribbon in the air. And it's so over the top. Has a bottle at the end. And yeah, it's silly. Blood, blood, and the parents is like, oh boy, and death, (laughs) right? And so this is what I mean by everything pays off because even something like that, where you're like, okay, well, you know, that tells you about this character and informs you what kind of a what kind of a kid she is. That even pays off at the end of the movie because he's not really savage, and you know, and the bite isn't a real bite. And so she just goes, she immediately does her routine as a child. And she's like, and death. (laughs) And for a moment, you're like, that's horrible. And then you realize what's happening. You're like, oh, you sneaks, you dirty people. But that's what you want them to be. You want them to take you there, tweak, you know, tweak you a little bit, and then let it go. No pun intended. Um, I I am one of those guys who goes, oh, come on, you know they're blueberries. As a general rule, that's how my mind works with these things. Well, I, I don't, I try not to do that because I don't, you know, just like I, I try not to look at spoilers anymore because I realize after Star Wars, I'm like, why am I ruining these experiences for myself? Yeah, I You only ruin it if the spoiler means you don't see the movie, but that's just my perspective. Plus, again, it's Star Wars. I maintain you don't see Star Wars for the quality of storytelling or twists and turns. It's, I mean, come on. But I hope someone that's rides a, by that's your a house. Whole other issue. I hope someone rides by your house and does a pie at you, right in the face. Um, you know, case. I would be okay with that because I'm kind of in the mood for pie, actually. For pie. Anyway, um, so I really uh, love. My the- other thing is that you know, spoilers don't necessarily dissuade me from seeing a movie, but uh, I freely admit that's just me. Um, so yeah, I really loved those two bits of the movie. I loved everything about them. Um, they, they were just great. And in go, you know, and going back to the animation, they made Nick even pretending to be savage look really scary. Oh when yeah, that, talking, that scene when he's kind of slowly pressing forward in the grass with his when all you get is his face kind of moving, pushing forward, and he looks you know feral. I mean, I've seen some foxes; they can be mean little buggers. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't really want to get into it with a fox. So, just as an aside, we went to the N- Naples Zoo today because my, my daughter was insistent to see a honey badger in real life after watching several episodes of The Lion Guard on Disney Junior. Um, that's Disney Junior presents The Lion Guard, the next age of the Lion King series. Brought to you Mark, by... if the you keep giving this stuff away, they're never going to pay us for it. No, no, I'm hoping... <laughs> that they recognize I'm willing to shill for Disney, see? Yeah, but you're willing to shill without them paying you, so why would they pay you? This is an audition tape. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. The first time was an audition tape. Um, anyway, so so she wanted to see a honey badger in real life, my wife being the good mother that she is. Honey um, badgers are mean, man. They attack the groin, and they don't let go. Uh, yeah, I just read about them today. Honey badgers get my respect. 
Um, they are apparently they're so vicious that lions and tigers just leave them alone. Yeah, like, no. Again, a honey badger when it gets when it gets angry and will attack you, it attacks for the groin and it absolutely will not let go. Its jaws will not open. You can't force its jaws open. It's just it's gonna bite. It's gonna bite you around the groin, and that thing is not letting go. Awesome. Honey badgers are my new favorite animals. But anyway. I went to the Naples Zoo to see honey badgers, and um, there was a point where we saw like an 18, uh, 18 foot like python or whatever it was, and uh, next to it was a tiger exhibit. So you know you have you have a python here, and then across the way you have a tiger. Oh, I kept calling Shere Khan for no good reason. <laughs> Just you know, Disney, send me free stuff. I'm ready for you. Disney, your new version of uh, the Jungle Book looks like crap. Oh, shut up. Uh, <laughs> you have completely lost what we're trying to get done here. In any case, so I, so I like we got Khan on one side and we got Shere Khan on the other. And <laughs> so, and, and, I, and my wife and my daughter are just like, you know, thankfully it's in the thing because we don't like snakes. Ooh, boo, snakes and everything. And I'm just like, not for nothing. I'll take my, I'll take my chances with the damn tiger before I'm going to fight, you know, this boa, constri- uh, this python. And I was just like, I just, the, when I was talking about how like, you know, pythons just slowly, uh, you know, uh, wrap you up and, you know, and choke you to death. I'm like, I, I, just, I feel like I can handle the tiger better. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I got a fighting chance if given the chance to fight either a tiger or a python. All right then. It looks so strong. I mean, you know, I kept thinking like, you know, Hogan Hogan referring to his muscles as pythons, and I'm just like, oh, you know what? Good, good adjective. Thing was just full of muscle, man. It was awesome looking. Yeah. Uh, incidentally, you'd do better off fighting the python as long as you are aware of where it's bitten you and you can kind of keep it from coiling. You're better off with that than a giant tiger that can, you know, break your neck with a single swipe. Just as an aside. I, I feel like I could fight the tiger fast. I feel like I would get away from the tiger faster than I could get away from the python. Yeah, because running from a cat works out so well. <laughs> just you know, you know, I'm like if I'm in hell in the if, if I'm in hell in the cell, you know, there's no way to run. I got to deal with this thing. It's cage match. So we move on with this. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to run out of steam, is all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, we want to talk at all about the uh, as we move into our final few minutes here. Uh, we talk about the themes of this thing. You know, um, because what we're talking about here is a movie where, uh, you know, they're putting two groups that have all the reason in the world to not want to be together together to try to, to try to create a better place, um, which rings true now. You know, women in the workforce, whites and blacks living together, uh, immigrants from all over the world coming in and adding to you know the melting pot that is America. You know, I, I remember a lot of my uh, history classes growing up, you know, in high school, whatever, really focusing on the melting pot idea and how society grows by leaps and bounds. You know, the, the more of a of a mix you have, and even Eddie Izzard, you know, joked about it. It's just like you know, Europe sometimes like refuses to. Uh, to mix, you know, everyone sort of stays in these like sort of homogenized areas. Um, you know, he was like, "We got to mix it around. We got to mix it around." 
Um, and that comes with, you know, pluses and minuses, obviously. And I thought it was an interesting thing to tackle in a kid's movie. So what did you think about that? I agree. And one of the things that this movie in general should be used as a prime example of is just because you're making a movie for kids, it does not have to be stupid. <laughs> We're looking at you, DreamWorks. There's a lot of people I look at when I say that, but you and I have talked about this. It does, you know, kids, you, they may not be able to handle, you know, deep, complex issues the same way that you know an adult does with a fully formed brain. But they, you don't have to play down to them. Right. You don't have to make everything as cookie cutter and just homogenized and stupid as possible to get the kids interested in your product you can have a kid's movie that here you know like you said there's a couple of moments in this movie that are a little bit you know frightening or intense especially considering the audience and you know the general tenor that you get with disney movies you're dealing with themes specifically that deal with you know inclusion prejudice you know fear paranoia things of that nature and those are pretty heavy topics but you can deal with those in a way that is accessible to kids and can, you know, help form them for the better later on down the line. Yeah. I thought overall the things that you get out of this, you know, just taking them one by one, you know, Judy Hopps's story about, you know, you can be anything you want to be uh, as long as you try. And I think it's, I think it presents a sort of a semi-realistic look at that. Like, yeah, there's going to be challenges. There's going to be people, you know, purposely preventing you from wanting to reach those goals that for whatever their reasons are. Um, and no, you may not, there just may be some things you're not, you're not going to be. It's just that that's just the way life is. And you have to figure out what you're going to do with that. Um, you know, Nick Wilde's story of, you know, no one ever believed in me. Um, so, you know, so why even bother trying? And through Judy, he, you know, he does try and, even though they have that bit of a hiccup in their relationship, you know, in the end, he, you know, he uses all of his sort of survival skills uh, in Zootopia for good. And I, I think it is a good lesson. I think just because people don't believe in you doesn't mean you should just give up on yourself, you know, and be a bastard. Um, and, uh, you know, the idea that you have, you know, especially now, it's very topical. You know, we have, and I don't want to go into a political thing. Uh, I say that in every podcast that we do. But, I mean, we have a guy that's currently running for president who's saying we should not let certain people into this country for, you know, X amount of time. And right or wrong, it does go against the entire history of this country where we've, the door has been opened to just about anybody. I'm not saying it's easy across the board, but, you know, certainly not. But the door has always been open. And we have a symbol given to us by the French that says, you know, give us your, you know, your, your huddled masses. You know, and, and to say, okay, well, we're going to close that door for whatever the reasons are, flies directly in the face of, every, uh, of one of the things that this country stands for. So, you know, there's probably not a more topical movie out there than Zootopia. Yeah, I'm. I will parse. I will be very fascinated to if Trump wins. Uh, see just how much of no, no. Just see how much of what he. 
No. Why? Why must you? <laughs> I have a theory. I have a theory. Playing around with some ideas. No, I'm just curious as to how much of the rabble rousing he does actually will would translate into attempted policies, and how much of it is just playing to the lowest common denominator in the masses to get himself elected. Okay, well, none of it will be policy for a variety of reasons, but uh, I don't want to get into I, I am aware of that, because, <laughs> hey, I know what you can actually do as the president yeah. versus what you all think the president can do. Yep, but that you know, but if you would like to hear more about this sort of thing, you should listen to the Every Joe podcast every Friday here on the Rattles and Broadcasting Network, brought to you by the good folks at Every Joe uh Every Joe, Every Joe, something or other, that, uh, on YouTube, and I think there's an EveryJoe.com, uh, and hosted by former freak boy John Brodigan. Well, this has been a, you know, it, it, you should have saved all of your plugs for tomorrow night because all of the references would play right in with how Madagascar goes as a film. <laughs> Madagascar is a very colorful uh, series of films. <laughs> Anywho. Uh. Ugh. All right, I I have negative um, things to say about those movies. I know we'll have fun tomorrow. Um, all right, anything else about uh, you're supposed to be leading this podcast? Why am I? I am because I am content to let you if you feel so inclined. Well, I'm trying to move things. God, they're talking to my wife. I'm trying to move things. Go bone here. Trying to keep trying to keep the ball up in the air. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, all right. Last thing I want to say about this as a uh, – no, actually, I think that is everything I want to say about it as a film. I was just realized I might have been repeating myself there. Right. Uh, real quick – real quickly about – because one of the things we like to talk about here is you know some of the numbers, whereas a lot of you know critical analysis is simply that in kind of a vacuum. Uh, Mark and I like to look at – you know, production history, budget considerations, things of that nature as well, because we're kind of interested in that stuff. I imagine this is where we lose something like 30 to 40% of the audience, but I enjoy it, you enjoy it, so whatever. Hey, we mentioned at the top of the show, this thing has made $465 million on a, bu- uh, on a budget. $150 million. Yeah, I'm just looking at YouTube. Uh, not YouTube. I'm looking at Wikipedia right now. Its budget was 150 million, which is pretty standard fare for an animated feature of this length. So yeah, but, it's, uh, it's uh, a survival hit here. And that's after just and it, it opened early in a few foreign markets to capitalize on holidays around the world. It still has a few other markets to open in. I think Australia, Japan, and uh, the UK places like that. Uh, I mean, it's been on top here for a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm not sure what's coming out this week that might threaten it. Nothing. Because I I don't think anything of relevance comes out this week, because next week you and I, aren't we reviewing uh, Daredevil next week? Yes, we're reviewing Daredevil. That's what comes out Friday. Uh, uh, That's worth a shit to anybody. I mean, I'm looking at... uh, all right, so the only movie coming out this weekend is Allegiant from the Divergent series. Yeah. Um, so, okay, if you're one of these, you know, like deeply profound and God bless you Christian folks who goes to see, who who who, who uh, makes sure that 
uh, you know, you go to see every Christian movie because, you know, you're trying to support it. Um, Miracles from Heaven comes out March 16th, so, you know, go see that. And then there's Midnight Special, The Bronze, and The Program. That's all yeah, the movies up this week. So, really, the only movie coming out this week is from the, is the Utini Boppers out there. <laughs> is the Divergent series Allegiance. I have not seen any of those movies. I have seen the first one while donating plasma. There's not a lot there. <laughs> Marvel's Daredevil season two so far has 82% on on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting. Uh, I mean, I tend to agree that the strongest parts of the first season were stuff that wasn't as superhero-y as it got towards the end of that first season. But by Gadfrey, the People versus O.J. Simpson still at 97%. Hot damn. You people Love are that. idiots. Love that show. It's, anyway. There's nothing to that show. Why? I don't know. I love it. It's great. I, lo- I like courtroom dramas. Yeah, but how about one where you don't know the ending? It's not the point. It's the journey. What is the point? No, it isn't. It's about the journey. A courtroom drama is sold on the uncertainty of the finish. Here's a big shocker to all you people watching that or rewatching it. He's found not guilty. Don't give it away, stupid. <laughs> oh, look, here's my big grind. No, you don't. Stay on topic, sir. Stay on, stay on target. Googly. I had more than enough of the O.J. Simpson crap when I was in grade school. I don't need it oh. again. It bored me to tears then. It bores me to tears now. Yeah. Well said. I love it. More, more, more John Travolta trying to do an impression of Robert Shapiro. Um, anyway, are we ready for my favorite game? Well, considering that this particular movie is currently sitting at something like 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, there's only one of these people I have to tear a new orifice that I assume they will then put to good use. There are two, count them, two Rotten okay. reviews on Zootopia, uh, on Zootopia on Rotten Tomatoes. Let's get it out of the way, then. Come on. Bring on the idiocy. (laughs) This is a top critic, okay? This is Kate Taylor of Globe and Mail. Leaving aside amusing jokes about the wolves trying trying desperately to contain a group owl or sloths working as bureaucrats, animal behavior is a troubling metaphor for cultural diversity. I... I can feel your aneurysm happening. Uh, in what way is it... All right, somebody, if anyone within the sound of my voice knows who this person is, be it because you live nearby, you have an address, everyone who hears this with the time and the inclination to follow through on what's going to be my crazy request. Mail this critic a copy of Animal Farm. I beg of you. <laughs> good, good. I like that. Okay, now this person, um, you live in Utah, not necessarily near Salt Lake City, but near enough. About an hour away. That, yeah, near enough that you should be able to drive to their house, knock on their door, punch them in the face, and say, not funny. You ready? Sure. It's confusing, 
when it starts to feel that Zootopia is working against its own message to get easy laughs. That is Scott Renshaw of Salt Lake City Weekly. Okay, first of all, you're a small-time hack. I could punch you in the face, and it would be the highlight of your day, so I'm not even going to dignify you with my presence. <laughs> okay. Uh. Second of all, Here's a, the funny – and look, this is – yes, it's using animals to kind of illuminate human behavior. Fine. Some of, the, some of these things are broad. But if you, ha- if you haven't noticed, there's a trend amongst people. They're freaking stupid. <laughs> and they play against their own interests all the time. And if you're an outside observer, it's hilarious. Yes, this is why people, I keep putting stuff about Trump on my Facebook. Get it? And it's it's not counterintuitive to the message of the film. It's utilizing how people actually behave to further its point. If all you want out of a movie like this is cookie cutter, bright colors, this isn't so much a message as it is a giant fish that I'm going to smack you in the face with repeatedly then no, something with even the slightest bit of intellectual acumen might seem counterintuitive to you. To those of us with fully functioning frontal cortexes, this makes all the sense in the world. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, okay. You are now, all you are doing is desperately crying, look at me, look at me, I'm different, please mommy, pay attention to me. Oh, everyone likes this, I'll say it's crap, and then they'll have to pay attention to me, and I'll finally be the prettiest girl at the ball. <laughs> well, it worked. We're paying attention to him. <laughs> Who knows? I think there's another review out there that's bringing this up, but we are shedding light on it. And so, in, in, a, in a way, we're giving this person exactly what they want. Mission accomplished. Like that one, because there is one jackass out there who thought that, who gave a negative review to Toy Story 3. <laughs> one. Like, uh. You're I just love desperately song. crying for attention. It's pathetic. All right. So what we have here is a neo-noir buddy cop movie um, that looks at uh, that looks at race relations uh, by superimposing it on walking, talking animals. It's great fun for adults. It's great fun for kids. It's one of Disney's best. If you haven't seen it yet, go see it. Four stars uh, for myself. Just uh, nothing but a good time to be had. Yeah, I agree. It's a, Again, it's an exceptionally well-written film. It is beautiful to look at. It doesn't... Again, what I was so impressed with is it never falls into... Again, Idris Elba's little diatribe there that this is not a musical and you're going to sing a song and all of a sudden everything's going to be all right... Is is very very true of this movie. There are no there, there are no musical numbers. There's a lot of issues. Our protagonist, in the form of Judy Hopps, even still has to overcome some of her own issues about not, you know, about trusting and prejudging Nick as a fox. Actually, what I like about her is her her darkest moment, her moment where she falls. She actually is actually elevated. You know, um, Idris Elba has a line about, well, it looks like you've, you, looks like you've arrived, you know, and she's going to be now the new poster person, poster child for 
the uh, the Zootopia Police Department, you know, and she realizes that she can't accept any of this because she's made the as she said it before she's made the world worse off than it was before she got there, so she rejects it out of hand, um, which is very different from a lot of movies because you know the sort of the standard setup is the character is shamed in some way, but shamed. Uh, by the other characters as well. None of them want anything to do with her. Whereas this, she's being celebrated, uh, and it's her and it's her own uh, moral compass that says, no, none of this is right, and I can't accept it. It's a little bit different than what you normally get in a children's movie. Yeah, her again, her integrity and her internal—that's you know, what guides her, as opposed to external forces necessarily. Which again a lot of kids' movies utilize external forces as a functional metaphor of the internal ones. Here, it's purely internal, and right. that's a slight departure, and it, it elevates the material. Uh, the Shakira song was not annoying. That's all I have to say about that. And Tommy, eh. and I thought the Tommy Chong bit was very funny, <laughs> including how he was animated. I thought that was even more hilarious. The flies around his head were pretty funny. Yes. Um, all right. So the, with I that found the Shakira song a tad annoying, but eh, I hate <laughs> that music. I, that's personal taste as opposed to an objective criticism in this case. Yeah, it's, a, it's a pop song. It didn't annoy me. That's, you know, you want to find annoying, make my kids. It's a pop on, song. It annoyed me, but that's just me. Again. Uh, they, you know, go ahead and go on YouTube and look up the Gummy Bear song. Uh, get... Let's not. <laughs> oh, I'm a gummy bear. Anyway, so as we've said a couple of times now, um, tomorrow night, 9 o'clock, Sean Comer is taking a break from Long Road to Ruin. He'll be back um, two weeks from tomorrow to do our animated Dark Knight Returns show. Uh, in the meantime, Robert Winfrey is stepping into the breach. Um, being abused by me once a week is not enough. He's going to come back for seconds, and we're going to look at Madagascar. Um, I want all of you to really understand something here that I have to say on another public forum. Anyone who's listened to me do reviews like this uh, or if you know me personally, if you've listened to enough of these reviews or other podcasts I've done, you understand that there is nothing cinematically that I loathe more than the works of Ben Stiller. I don't think there are adequate words in the English language for how much it repulses me on every conceivable level. I'm going to suck it up for you people and put myself through listening to him and Chris Rock doing an exaggerated version of Chris Rock, which is not, which is again, it's about as funny as it sounds, which is to say it's not across three movies, just so I can bail Mark out and give you people a show that, uh, you can listen to and enjoy. So I just wanted to acknowledge publicly, real briefly, if I this is not a series I would have volunteered for uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But you got I, I am I am happy to help out Mark whenever he needs it. And you know, you fans of the show, tune in because I got things to say about this one. So if you like to hear Robert Winfrey scream a lot. This is gonna be I will not bad. be screaming. I promise that I will not be screaming. Sorry, you won't. I've heard you. I, I've been doing this with you long enough now. Um, so nine o'clock. I don't scream on the air. 
the nine o'clock uh, the Rattles and Broadcasting Network. Long Road to Ruin returns after uh, we've had a couple of weeks off. Celebrating uh, this week in animation with the Madagascar trilogy is brought to you by DreamWorks. On Friday, Netflix will drop the new Daredevil. If you haven't stolen it via torrents, um, on Saturday you have. On Saturday, uh, Mark Hunt decides when Frank Mir must fall in Australia. That'll be fantastic, and I'm sure Robert Winfrey will be covering it. Uh, and then he'll talk about uh, it on Sunday at 8 o'clock with the 401mania.com on the 401 Ground and Pound radio show. On Monday, uh, myself and Andrew Graham, super fan here of the Rattlers and Broadcasting Network, will be on Jesse Starcher's, I mean, this will be live, not live on tape, but actually live, uh, source material. We'll be looking Dictated at... Dictated but not read back. Please read that back to me. <laughs> what? It's a, it's a gag similar to the whole live to tape thing. Oh, uh, is it live? Is it Memorex? Um, well, no, again, the gag is someone dictating a memo or whatnot, and at the end of it says, dictated but not read back, and then looks at the secretary, and re- would you read that back to me? So we'll be looking at Superman Earth One because this because uh, next week we are celebrating the opening of Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. So it's, you know, it's all things DC all the time, except when it isn't. So we'll be looking at Superman Earth One, uh, probably just Volume One, and uh, because apparently it informed a lot of what became Man of Steel. Uh, we had to delay Metal Hammer of Doom uh, Destroyer Six 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 Wildfire because Robert Cooper had to work. So um, it's Cooper's choice. Delayed by a week, we'll be giving you a special special presentation of the Metal Hammer of Doom Cooper's choice. Destroyer 666 is the band, and the new album is Wildfire. It actually came out the same week as uh, Anthrax's For All Kings. Robert Winfrey and I are back in a week. We'll be reviewing Daredevil Season 2. Two hours, 13 episodes. It's all right here for you. And then Friday, uh, sorry, Thursday rather, Robert Winfrey and I will be live at 9 o'clock delivering our our In Defense of Man of Steel podcast. We'll be talking about um, why the movie should not be written off out of hand. What about the, you know, what, what's good about this movie? Why this movie deserves uh, to be to be watched? Why it is valuable in the canon of Superman movies? Uh, and why, again, it should not be just summarily dismissed. And we'll get into all of that. Not that the movie is 100% perfect. That's not what we're talking about here, and we're not revisiting a movie review that I did a few years ago with Jeff Harris, um, more of talking about why this movie, uh, why this movie is important. So in defense of man of steel, nine o'clock. It's also going to be a long discussion that Mark and I are probably going to have about all your misconceptions about Superman in general as a character. Uh, yes, we are. And Hey, Superman doesn't kill people. No, you freaking morons. All right, all right, save it for the podcast. Seriously, the, the fact that that was such a big issue people had with this. Oh, he killed Zod. No, Superman you, always kills Zod. Every single out. interaction between those two across whatever medium you want, he kills Zod. Well, no, in Superman 2, he went back to the Phantom Zone. Oh, he dumped him into that crevice and the... You know what? That's... Those movies are just so 
here's why I'm not going to get into that because I'm not sure I've necessarily seen the Donner cut recently enough to remember the differences between that and the theatrical cut. I feel like and, the end of that movie went back into the flying LP, uh, back to the Phantom Zone. But you know what? That's, we're not we're doing this podcast. I no, no, because he kills them all in the Fortress of Solitude. He crushes Zod's hand and knocks him into a crevasse from which he is never seen again. He's dead. All right. Um, I'll have to go back and look at it. Maybe you're right. I know. I know. I remember them all falling into the crevice. I no, they, just, I they just die. They fall down far enough, and they are depowered. They break their necks. They die of starvation after shattering a knee, hypothermia. I don't care. They all die. This is not new hat for Superman. Friday, you have March deeply 20- selective memories. I'm gonna punch you in the nuts. Friday, March 25th, uh, the new Amon Hearth comes out. Batman v Superman comes out. If you hadn't seen the Thursday night preview, and right here in the Rattle of the Broadcasting Network is the case against Man of Steel, brought to you by Gavin Napier of the Casual Heroes and Pat Mullen of wherever he feels like coming from. They will be they will be presenting. <laughs> he lives in Jersey. They will be presenting to you probably live on tape uh, the, the their podcast, the case against Man of Steel. Um, we'll be back then the following Wednesday uh, to review Batman v Superman. As I mentioned before, Long Road to Ruin, Dark Knight Returns, the animated movies. And then on April 4th, Baby Metal comes out, and I will be on a flight to Dallas. Uh, in the meantime, um, every fr- almost every Friday that we're not doing special Man of Steel stuff, uh, you can hear the new Every Joe podcast. With uh, what just happened on this past Super Duper Tuesday here in Florida, Illinois, Ohio, and Missouri, um, and North Carolina, I'm pretty sure John Brodigan, whatever guest he brought on, will have a lot to complain about. Uh, I think that's it. I think that's all. That's all the plugs for now. Yeah, I don't have anything else to plug. Uh, I think voting is now closed for my appearance in the uh, Factor Fiction tournament. Uh, and if memory serves, I was down by one vote. I haven't double-checked that, uh, but I, I didn't anticipate beating Alex Rello. Uh, I voted for you. I know. I appreciate it. Uh, again, it, it was like 26 to 27 last I checked, so it's not a blowout by any stretch of the imagination. And I might, again, somebody else might have voted that I haven't seen. I might have won, and that means I'll be advancing to the next round. Uh, some... Just one person might have voted for me. We'll get a draw, and whoever was also in that bracket basically gets a buy into the into the semis. So I don't know. I know I advanced. You usually do. At least into the second round. I mean, second round is usually where I lose it. Yeah. Uh, so again, it, all of those of you who read and voted, whether it was for me or Alex, I don't especially. Yeah, again, I don't care. If you thought he won, then you should have voted for him, and I'm not going to cast yeah, – I'm not going to throw stones. I'm glad you all read. Yeah, I'm glad you all clicked, read, voted, You know, agree or disagree. So thank you for that. Thank you for the support. Uh, thank you for supporting the site in general. Uh, and, yeah, Mark already hit my major plug, so we're going to wrap this up. That's everything I've got. Mark's uh, put everything he had on the table. And I think that's it. We'll be back next week for Daredevil Season 2. Uh, yeah, Joe Bernthal as the Punisher ought to be interesting. I've been hearing good things from people who have seen advanced screenings. And um, for fans of The Walking Dead, seeing Shane as the Punisher makes a fair bit of sense. All right, that's it. We're all done. 
about to play the outro music. Uh, for Mark Radlich, I'm Robert Winfrey. We'll see you all next week. Until then, please continue to be well, be safe, and behave. Money. We need some money. We need some money. We need some money.